Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The strong hate of capitalism. I, not me, far too many others, sadly and pathetically, far too many others. From a place of, well, just a total lack of recognition. And and this came out from Robert Reich, former labor secretary under Clinton. He's a professor, don't you know? A growing sector of the U.S. economy produces nothing of value. Corporate law, Wall Street, private equity, hedge funds. The only things this zero-sum sector produces are more ultra-rich people. So why not... Heavily tax zero-sum work while subsidizing work that generates social good. Like, you know, teaching gender studies. Do you know how disconnected from reality you would have to be to make this statement? You would have to be Robert Reich ignorant. But the progressive is this way. And people are like, why are you always, Why does it always have to be about the politics and the left versus right? We are having a far greater conversation. Free and thinking people versus elitist snobs who think they know best for you. I make no claim of knowing best for you. I discuss ideas that allow you to live your life the way you see fit. Well, what if I'm transgender? If you're an adult, I don't engage anything. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. It's completely inconsequential because I believe you should be allowed to live your life without the concept of acceptance, just like I do. When I am asked about capitalism, when I'm asked about the American system, I believe that you are entitled to live your life the way you see fit to the moment of your happiness without the concept of acceptance. Are you living under uh, the rules of the nation? Yes. Remember, we are not about freedom. We are about liberty. And liberty, by definition, has certain constraints. And I know it sounds weird, liberty and constraints, but yes, we accept a system that has rules and regulations. We live within them to have the maximum amount of freedom. This goes under the guise of government is a necessary evil. The political left, the progressive, believes that government is the only possible good and the only way to cure the evils of others. It is the idea of original sin. The people are evil, but somehow when the people get to government, they're good. I don't know how that works, because I believe that people are good, and somehow when they get into government, they become evil. Not all of them, but too many of them. Tony Katz, that's me. Guys, what's up? Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number. Corporate law doesn't produce anything of value. Neither does Wall Street, nor does private equity or hedge funds, according to Robert Reich. Gender studies degrees provide nothing of value. It should be eliminated from every college campus. As a matter of fact, if you're a college that teaches gender studies, why not just put up a sign that says, we're a failure? Nothing gets created. But we all know that corporate law does create something. 
a growing sector of the U.S. economy, it does create something. It creates the opportunity for the business to be in business because your government, Robert Reich, put so much onerous paperwork on a business that they got to hire all those corporate lawyers to do all that damn paperwork to satisfy your government cronies who believe yourselves to be the center of what? Goodness. Do you see how easy this is? You understand from just my first example how ridiculous Robert Reich is. What a holy damn fool he is. Now, please don't think that this is somehow a defense of corporate lawyers. I would rather the regulatory burden and the paperwork burden on businesses be cut in half and half of the lawyers have to go find, you know, decent work, honorable work, not work that is allowed to them because of government. And let's discuss the nexus, if you will, between the government work and the legal world. I take a look at the southern border. And you take a look at the progressive and everybody they'll allow in. Oh, just let them in. Oh, you got to let them in. Oh, we shouldn't have a border. Oh, you can't have this rule. Oh, you can't have that rule. Oh, you're just oppressive, you Republicans. If everybody coming across the border was handed a law degree and says you can now go practice law, would the progressive feel the same way? You will never find an end to progressives who will tell you, well, we need these people to to, to work the fields. We need these people to mow the lawns. They're the ones who say it. It's nuts. You hear it and you're like, what? Why do they do this? Why don't we let these people come across the border and become lawyers? And therefore, you who's charging $758 an hour, you can only charge $212 an hour because you got to compete, baby. If the people coming across the southern border were all lawyers, you would see an end to illegal immigration in two seconds. The nexus exists, whether they want to admit to it or not. And I'm not anti-lawyer. I'm not pro-lawyer. They serve a purpose. But how odd is it for a guy who favors the growth of government to complain about corporate lawyers who are hired to handle the deluge of attack put on business by government? The paperwork, the regulation, and all of it. Wall Street creates nothing of value? Is that why people are so desperate to invest? So they can build their retirements? So they can build their opportunities? Wall Street does indeed create many, many, many things of value. You know what didn't create anything of value? Solyndra. Guys, this is too easy. This is just too easy. This is, uh, I, I, I don't even have it on me. It's, it's, it's uh, Pesci and, and Goodfellas. Pow, ping, bang, boom. I'm just firing them off, people. This took no work. This took no planning. Private equity doesn't provide anything of value. Hedge funds don't provide anything of value. You can argue that they, they do produce uh, amongst these sectors uh, people who make money making more money. That much is true. I, I won't disagree with that. 
Why are you opposed to that? What is the problem with that? Why can't people who make money make more money? And why can't people who don't make much money now, why shouldn't they have the opportunity to make more? But most importantly, because by the way, you don't believe that those people should have to work at all. You're like Nina Turner. If you caught my video yesterday at Rumble, rumble.com slash Tony Katz, talking about the capitalism hate of Nina Turner, former Ohio State Senator who has a show now at the Young Turks, who tweets out $25 an hour minimum wage, $2,000 a month recurring checks, unions for all workers. Well, that's a heck of a take. That is a heck of a take. $2,000 a month recurring checks. Who's going to even work? Why would you have to pay a minimum wage? And by the way, I don't even believe in the minimum wage. I'm with Milton Friedman on this subject. But both these people, Nina Turner, Robert Reich, have this idea about good. And he writes it. He says, why not heavily tax zero-sum work while subsidizing work that generates social good? The communist is not even hiding anymore. And I know people are like, oh, Tony, talking about the communists again. What do you want to call him? Schmuck? We can call him a schmuck if you want. But I thought commie was a little more on the nose. Define for me social good. What is that? And why would I think that Robert Reich has any idea? I believe that social good, as a, as a term of art, is meant to be the cover for the infliction of the most amount of pain. This is what the people who want to generate social good will do. Social good is um, eye of the beholder stuff. What if uh, I believe that the the most I, I can do for the social good is volunteering at my church? Would you consider that acceptable, Robert Reich? What if I believe that my social good involves taking my money and ensuring that it goes to my children and goes to no charities because I believe charities waste money and my children won't? I love the people who are like, I'm not leaving my money to my children. I'm leaving it to charity. You mean you raised your children in such a horrible way that they're not capable of doing something with your dollars, but total strangers are? You're such a bad parent. You can't leave it to your children? I swear to you, you say that sometimes out loud and people will look at you. They have never had that thought in their head a day in their lives. Now, you can have a reason for not leaving your money to your kids. There could be a drug issue. There could be other issues at play, a strange family, a bunch of things. But social good, what, what is the social, what is the work that generates the social good? Teaching? Is this teaching generate the social good? Generate a social good? Well, what kind of teaching? The teaching of math or the indoctrination of critical race theory? Because I have no interest in subsidizing the people who push bigotry and hate on children. Social good is totally arbitrary. 
social good is in the eye of the beholder or in the eye of the community. And it should be left up to the individual, not according to Robert Reich, this elitist. Robert Reich wants to decide what is good from government. People cannot be trusted. Only government can be trusted to decide what the social good is. As a matter of fact, people not doing what the government decides is the social good should be what? Taxed more. Because taxes are punitive to therefore act as a disincentive to doing the thing government decides is wrong, even though it's the thing that generates wealth, while the social good generates nothing, so eventually there is no wealth. These people who worship government are the worst kind of people. I make no argument that the people who are open market, free market, depending on how you look at the thing, uh, are always the best people. But at least they're not interested in subjugating you. They're interested in doing something for themselves. And you might be like, that's totally selfish. Well, I'm fine with selfishness for the individual. What Robert Reich is interested in is the selfishness for you. He wants to decide what is good and force you to do it. He wants to decide what is acceptable and force you not to do what he decides is not acceptable. I'm sorry, that's evil. The conversation is not about what Robert Reich produces as a professor. He produces nothing. The, the conversation here is about what is he really after? And what he is really after is control. The ability to be the arbiter of what is and isn't acceptable, what is and isn't decent, and then to dictate to you what is so you will be as good as he no thanks. I'll take capitalism. But if we could do something about uh, those regulations and maybe get rid of a couple of corporate lawyers, I could live with that too. I'm Tony Katz. I hear the, the Dow is down 315. The Nasdaq down 27, and this because the Fed is getting ready um, to make their decision. How much are they going to raise interest rates? Of course they're going to raise interest rates. Everybody knows this. Meanwhile, FedEx is laying off 10% of its officers and directors. Rivian, which makes electric trucks, uh, laying off 6% of its workforce because, well, electric uh, vehicle prices are going down. You've already seen uh, Tesla reduce prices. You're seeing General Motors engage the same conversation. Meanwhile, General Motors, they had a great year, and they think they're going to have a a, a great future. This economy hasn't hurt everyone. There are people doing well in certain areas, at least for a certain amount of time. But there is no knowing... How long that's going to last? No, wait, there is. It's not going to last long. Tony Katz, Tony Katz, I forget if I say hello sometimes. I do, I totally forget. I get into the thing. Uh, Noah Rothman, gonna join us. We're gonna talk about this raid at at Biden's place. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they, they raided the Rehoboth house. Well, it wasn't so much a raid as it was a scheduled to organized search, at least from the reporting. 
Oh, yeah. Super sweet. Super nice. Super nice. Just like they would do for you. No, wait. They, they wouldn't do that for you? They wouldn't do that for you. But a lot of talk uh, about... Ron DeSantis, the governor of New York, and of course, as the New York Times lies, not always, and I'll I'll get to that. Uh, Ron DeSantis is trying to erase black history. Ron DeSantis is trying to prevent you from learning the truth about America. No. Ron DeSantis, as the governor of Florida, took a look at at an advanced placement pilot course on African-American studies and said, whoa, 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 this is critical race theory. We're not allowing this. We're not having this. This is not welcome in Florida schools as critical race theory and critical race curriculum should not be allowed in schools. It's bigotry. The teaching of, of American history, including slavery, should absolutely happen. Absolutely. But this was about this specific program an advanced placement program, and specific to the instruction of it. Well, this is doing critical race theory stuff, and there's no place for that. The teaching of slavery can happen without the teaching of critical race theory or engaging critical race curriculum. And if someone tells you it can't, well, then they're telling you a lot about themselves. Of course, people said, oh, uh, first uh, uh, DeSantis said, don't say gay. And now he's saying, don't say black because people are ignorant. They hate and they are they are wildly radical. And so this is what they do. So Florida rejected this course. And now we are learning that the college board announced changes to the framework of its advanced placement, their AP African-American studies course because of the pushback from DeSantis and others. And one of the things that DeSantis took issue with was a section focused on black queer studies. And his question is, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? That is something pushing, that is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And it is. So good on Ron DeSantis. And now they're making changes. It is angering to the left incredibly uh, angering to the left that the political right should be so all up in their business about education because they believe that education belongs to them. You've got people going on to MSNBC. Republicans are just trying to take over public education. They're trying to undo the norms. The norms were undone when you taught our children to hate one another. And then when some parents said, hey, we don't like this, you called them domestic terrorists. And then what you did, you couldn't leave well enough alone. You had to screw with people's kids. Man, no one's taken that crap. You screwed with their kids. You blanked around and then you found out. And now they're fighting back. So much so, they're winning. Good on Ron DeSantis. This is Tony Katz Today.
So as we speak, who knows, it might be over by now. You have got a raid of President Biden's Delaware vacation house. That's right. A man who has never actually held a job outside of Washington, D.C., has a home and a vacation home in Delaware. You you thought you knew how to work the system, Mike. Gosh, what were you thinking? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. This is the FBI with their second look at things on a Biden property because they already went through the house in Wilmington. And we just found out that they did go through the UPenn Biden Center office where the first documents were found. And it was reported on November 2nd. Later that month in November, they looked through those documents or looked through those offices to see if possibly there were more documents. This from a president who told us he's been totally cooperative and there's no there there. I think the bigger question, of course, is how in the world has the White House screwed this up so badly and what does this latest search kind of set the stage for not only for biden's presidency in the second part of the first term possibly the only term but for 2024 noah rothman joins us right now from commentary commentary commentary.org soon to be exclusively at nationalreview.com you've written about this over there at at msnbc and i want to start with this, your take on this latest information, this newest information today about this raid, what does it say about the administration handling? What does it say about what they are are capable of? And what does it say about the future? I mean, it might be a failure of imagination on my part, but I struggle to see or envision how they could have handled this any worse from a political perspective, in part because they approached this from day one, from the very beginning, as a political conundrum, not as a potential violation of statute that they should be treating with all the severity and seriousness that would normally accompany something that has a potential criminal penalty attached to it. They tasked, according to the New York Times reporting, they tasked this tight circle uh, of Biden loyalists, including longtime political strategist Anita Dunn, and Bob Bauer, who's her husband and is also the president's personal attorney. And they wanted to treat this as a political scandal and to defuse it by emphasizing contrasts between how Joe Biden behaved and how Donald Trump behaved. And on a superficial level, it's true. There was a, there was a real disparity there between how Joe Biden appeared to be very uh, open and forthcoming with just the Justice Department and investigators and the uh, and the National Archives and how Donald Trump was holding on to these documents. And then we subsequently learned, as you said, drip, 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 all these details. There was this search of these properties that turned up nothing. They, they, they either there's two options here. They either overlooked them or failed to report them. There's no third option there. The Justice Department subsequently invited in. So it's not really a raid, but found what they had missed. At the, uh, at the property in Wilmington. Now we're at Rehoboth. Again, invited, but if they overlook something there, then we get another piece of information to say nothing of the DOJ, which has been tight-lipped, about its investigation into these properties. What they started with was this contrast that they wanted to establish with, with Donald Trump by treating this as a political scandal. What they got by treating it as a political scandal was comparisons to Donald Trump. Many too many to avoid addressing them directly now. That's the contrast they wanted. That's the dichotomy they wanted, Trump versus Biden. Well, they got it. And what they have is something that looks so similar, conduct that looks so similar that it's hard to avoid 
the conclusion that average people will draw, which is that, A, this conduct is pretty common among former and current presidents, and B, Joe Biden is just as bad as Donald Trump. But I – so they'll they'll – Register the idea that we really do have a classification problem in the United States. The idea of everything getting classified as a way of the intelligence community uh, saying, hey, we don't want people to know anything that we're doing, right? That's a serious issue. But the idea of incompetence being one thing, I guess everybody does look at this stuff and it ends up in a briefcase. The story here is that the Biden administration on numerous occasions, it seems to me, told us we've done everything the it was it was uh Corinne Jean-Pierre telling us six times in one day that uh the house has been completely cleared and then yet another search of the house was done and now this search is being done why didn't they as a matter of course to get the story behind them demand that the FBI search everything at once and be finished with it so they knew that it was indeed complete I find the drip 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 to be solely and exclusively not Biden's as bad as Trump Biden is incompetent, and so in his team, so is his team, and it, that seems to be inescapable. I mean, that's the charitable interpretation to apply incompetence <laughs> here rather than malice. It is. I love. I love it, it when is. you give me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I mean, you, you, well, you very graciously declined to you know jump right to malice, um, which I think is justified but questionable. Uh, in many ways, you could say that uh, Joe Biden's uh, conduct is somewhat worse insofar as the documents that they've discovered date back to his tenure in the Senate. There's no way to get a, co- a classified document out of the secure compartmentalized information facility in the basement of the Congress without willfully doing so. Kind of difficult, in fact. Uh, it's one thing to be in the executive branch and to mistake one document for another, which can happen. And in fact, happens all the time, apparently. Um, but it's quite another to abscond with these documents from the Capitol, from Capitol Hill, from from the Capitol building. I mean, that that requires actual effort. First, uh, I don't give Biden any quarter. I believe there there are a series of acts here that are are indeed, in my view, criminal. But I've known you a good long time, Noah. And when you are calling me the charitable one, like like that's that is fascinating to me because usually I'm way tougher on these subjects and you're like oh catch you're being a total pansy. <laughs> I I do appreciate that Noah Rothman joins us. Fine. Noah Rothman joins us <laughs> right now uh, from commentary.org soon to be exclusively at nationalreview.com. Let me bring you over to commentary because it's a very very interesting piece. The worldwide COVID revolts. Um, And really, this is where a lot of people are at as they have come to realize that every conversation of lockdown, every conversation of force, no, you can't go to your business. No, you can't see your sick grandmother. Yes, you have to wear a mask. No, you can't get on this plane without it. Yes, you have to show your papers before you enter a concert venue or, or a series of other things has resulted in in a frightening way resulted in people engaging and complying which still scares me and rattles me to my core but this growing amount of people saying exactly what was all of this for because as china has shown us as they come out of lockdown of 20 million people it didn't do anything to save a life anywhere yeah so this 
piece, which is the cover article in February's uh, Commentary Magazine, and I hope everybody checks it out. It's a little long, but it tells a story that I think has not been told and desperately needs to because it could come to determine and define the, the geopolitical environment in the 2020s. And it began with a question. Um, why was it that in the United States in 2022 in our midterm elections, it didn't seem like the uh, ma- roiling, manifesting frustration with the COVID status quo resulted in any sort of backlash electorally in the 2022 midterms. Because in the rest of the world, the story of 2022 was street action against the COVID regime. In um, Western Europe, beginning in January, capitals, London, Brussels, Prague, Helsinki, Stockholm, all erupted in sometimes violent demonstrations against the, the COVID status quo and secured reforms from their respective governments. The Canadian trucker protest exploded throughout the Anglophonic world. It spread from Canada to the United States, to Australia, to New Zealand, all to both places that had some of the democratic world's harshest COVID mitigation measures. Some of those protests were violent, and they too dismantled some of their COVID regimes. In the non-democratic world, it was far more violent and disruptive, beginning in early 2021 with Cuba and continuing throughout the year, but also in Iran, in Sri Lanka, and especially in China, where we saw real street unrest, real brave demonstrations, ongoing, sometimes violent, targeting symbols of the regime, their respective regimes, and demanding their dissolution, uh, an incredibly brave display of hostility to, uh, to their respective governments that have real consequences associated with them. Uh, and these kind of revolutionary moments don't dissipate overnight. They expand, they balloon, they've encompassed, they've, they've crossed social and class barriers, and they represent a real existential threat to these respective regimes. And then the question, so I, I answer my own question with uh, an observation, which is that the COVID revolt in the United States was one of the most efficient. By 2022, the election of 2022, most of these structures have, were already gone as a result of public outrest and public frustrations and the electoral consequences associated with them evidenced by the 2021 off-year elections in Virginia and New Jersey. It just, we didn't need street action to dismantle the COVID regime. Most of it was already gone. Um, I, so it's... What, what I find interesting when you, when you talk about street action, I think you bring up, by the way, a really good point that sometimes we we forget what happened in Canada with the truckers, Australia with really some some horrific levels of lockdowns, but we don't often consider the situations in Sri Lanka or, or Cuba because we already know that to levels of extent, uh, they are already repressive. So to see them in a bit of revolt... Um, it's funny that something like this would shake them out of, well, a repression that they're already experiencing. But you, you talk about the United States and 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 how we 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 went went about things. It's is is it the the idea that well we're fundamentally different to begin with, so what we had to revolt against was fundamentally different. We're naturally freer to begin with, so how we did it is fundamentally uh, different. Is, is there a feeling that if it took taking to the streets aggressively, we would have done it? Uh, perhaps. I mean, there. It's not as though there were no episodes of civil unrest as a result of this sort of thing. Um, but the, the mechanisms that uh, we used to dismantle this regime were mostly democratic and entirely democratic, I should say, and entirely peaceful. And we have these mechanisms built into our system of government 
And the reason why I don't think a lot of people recognize these backlashes as anti-COVID backlashes is because the conditions they were revolting against were so downstream from the pandemic, you could divorce them in your head from the pandemic. The rise of crime, spiraling rates of inflation, uh, educational issues, and the reformation of the education system to indoctrinate children into social democratic uh, you know, themes. All this stuff was was inspired by the COVID uh, COVID status quo, but not totally related to it. So, and you see much of that in places like you know the the the, the revolt in Sri Lanka, for example, uh, was a revolt against economic conditions and, con- and consequences. A lot of them arising from the COVID mitigation regime. But the people who took to the streets and set fire to the presidential house weren't there because they were saying, you know, we, we want to we no longer want to wear masks. They were saying our economic conditions, our economic circumstances are intolerable. Oh, and also we want independent courts and independent judiciary and more liberalism. And that's what they got. They weren't marching for liberalism. They got it as a consequence of their revolt against an illiberal status quo. I think that when you take a look at China, you get this really amazing example of part of what you're discussing in that People took to the streets by the tens of thousands in China. China immediately tried to utilize technology against them by claiming on their phones, you know, your phone showed your your passport status, whether or not you had COVID or not. And all of a sudden, everybody who was in the streets, they all had COVID because their phone uh, told them so. But we didn't see where these these protests went to because we saw uh, that things just got loosened and okay, the lockdown is over. And then we saw 60,000 people plus die because, well, lockdown don't solve anything but is there a feeling that the people who took to the streets have learned that wait a second if we could take to the streets on this and actually get this done and be allowed out of our homes what else can we take to the streets to is there a concern amongst the communist chinese party that by i was going to use the term kowtowing but there's got to be a better word uh, to use by giving in if you will they have now created the opportunity for this to happen again is there a concern amongst the communist chinese and therefore is there the threat or the possibility of lockdowns in the future i mean i can't oh, there's definitely a threat of lockdowns in the future for sure i mean the, the chinese communist party reserves that right and i think the public chinese public generally knows that i haven't seen a lot of good reporting on what the, the thinking is inside the regime in beijing but their behavior suggests and betrays a, a real fear of what the, you know, this movement can become, they secured concessions in the form of, for example, that really odious app that you were talking about that, you know, limits your access to banking if you know, as a result of your COVID status. And that's that just went away overnight. And it was a real profound concession to what the protesters were demanding. But there's plenty of reporting, and I detail it in this piece, uh, about the ballooning, expanding targets of this opposition movement. And the opposition movement may come and go and ebbs and flows. And the same thing is just true of Iran, for example, in that we saw COVID, there was already civil unrest, and there has been civil unrest in Iran for, for years. And much of it arises from economic conditions, the price of eggs, the shortages of petrol, what have you. Uh, and there was frustrations with the regime after uh, the shootdown of this Ukrainian airliner in 2020, even before the pandemic hit. So it just sort of compiled it. But what made it worse for Iran is because the conditions that they were trying to use in order to mitigate the virus ended up attacking um, the centers of regime support in more conservative areas of the country. There's this water, there was this water crisis in 2021 and uh, a rationing regime that was imposed 
that dovetailed with COVID restrictions and the status of the provinces with vis-a-vis their exposure to COVID. And that ended up sapping a lot of support in these very conservative bastions of support for the regime in Tehran because of their approach to COVID. So all these things sort of compile and snowball. And COVID becomes farther and farther back in the, in the rearview mirror as the impetus for these movements. But it is nevertheless the impetus for these movements. It's, it's the boulder that got this, this whole movement rolling. And I don't think it just stops when COVID disappears. Um, unless, unless we find a way to defuse what these protesters are demanding of their respective governments, it has nothing to do with COVID anymore because COVID's sort of in the rearview mirror. It has a lot more to do with uh, the environmental conditions inspired by it and where, how that's resolved uh, to the satisfaction of both protesters and the regime. I don't know. We may be you know, approaching something akin to a, a movable force or an unstoppable force and a movable object. Yeah, and I'm not so sure I want to stop them from continuing down a path that allows them a better life. Noah Rothman, Commentary Magazine, Commentary.org, soon to be featured exclusively at NationalReview.com. I appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So I went too long. I went way too long with Noah Rothman. I apologize. I I, I was into it. And you should read the piece over there, Commentary. And absolutely, if there is an opportunity that COVID has led people who live under repressive regimes to demand freedom from the COVID restrictions, and that then leads them to demanding other things, things can be turbulent, but maybe things will get better for them and for us. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today.